News Talk 1110 and 99.3 WBT, the Pete Show, 704-570-1110, 1-800-WBT-1110, and you can email Pete at thepetecalendarshow.com. Uh, all righty, so back to the Politico piece I covered uh, in the first hour. By giving Disney and other uh, uh, companies special districts, okay, they have conferred, the Florida legislature has conferred upon Disney and these other entities special privileges. But uh, there are also costs associated with that. Disney has been running its own, essentially, city for, you know, almost 60 years. And they have higher standards, that like building codes and that sort of stuff, because they want a better experience than, you know, in the county government. You don't have to worry about elections. You control it all. Now, it does generate a lot of money. It does. Disney generates a ton of money. They employ 80,000 people. It's the number one employer in Florida. It's the driver of the tourist economic engine in that state. It's one of the reasons they don't have an income tax is because all of the tourism dollars and much of that is generated by Disney. So you don't have to have an income tax. But what happens then if you're going to force Disney or the and these other special districts, and I think they uh, the... The law that the Florida legislature passed, it only covers uh, like six. And as I understand, there are like hundreds of these things all around the state. In fact, Ron DeSantis, when he gave one of his speeches uh, where he he talked about this a couple weeks ago, he was at the villages. And the villages is one of these special districts. So and by the way, I don't necessarily have any problem with the special districts being set up where. Uh, everything that's generated in that district stays in that district, and it's a local form of control. I, like, depending on how it's structured, and I'm not going to go in depth on how these things are structured because I don't live in Florida and I don't really care. But the general idea, I'm not automatically opposed to. So the legislature, not too happy that Disney caved into pressure from its left wing activists uh, and employee base, and they said, uh, we're not going to donate any money to politicians, and uh, we oppose the don't say gay bill, which is not really what the bill does. It says, hey, teachers, you're not allowed to talk about your sex life with the kindergartners. OK, that's what the bill says. Not age uh, appropriate. You are not to engage in these types of discussions. They are not age appropriate. And by the way, this is a standard that already exists in K-12 education, the age appropriateness standards. Most people in Florida agree with the law. But Disney bowed to the pressure from what it thought was the more powerful political body. And now they're in the fight. And that's why I kind of chuckle when I see these, you know, think pieces sympathetic to poor Disney. They got dragged into this fight. How did they end up here? They ended up there because they caved into the pressure. Rather than just telling the left, no, we're not going to get involved in state-level politics. We don't operate schools. We're not interested in weighing into this or whatever. Like, we have our own little city to run. This is our core mission. This is our objective. We are trying to win as many customers as possible. We don't care about their politics. We just want them to come to our, uh, our theme park. But you're not allowed to think that anymore because the left has raised an entire generation on this idea of, you know, activism from the boardroom. 
that companies have to have some social justice mission, not just making money because that's evil. Boo, capitalism, right? So Disney caved. Now Disney's in the fight. And guess what? When you start engaging in politics, your opponents will also engage in politics as well. So the lawmakers said we're going to repeal this special tax district. It's called the Reedy Creek Improvement District. We're going to repeal that next year. Republicans say, though, that the company could return to the legislature for a new plan to run its operation. Ah, interesting. So in a year from now, we will be past the midterm election, but prior to a 2024 run that maybe Governor DeSantis takes for president. Interesting. See, the law was actually called the Parental Rights in Education Bill. It was dubbed Don't Say Gay by Opponents. Well, wait a minute. It was dubbed that by opponents, yet you used it, Politico, in your headline. What does that say about you? Right? This is what I mean. You could have called it the Parental Rights in Education Law because that's the name of the law. But you didn't use the name of the law. In fact, you didn't even give me the name of the law until the second to last paragraph. But you called it Don't Say Gay right at the very top. It's not just used by opponents. It's used by the media as well, who are carrying the water and amplifying the narrative that the left prefers. But when people actually find out what's in the law, they support it. It prohibits educators. Here's how Politico describes it. Prohibits educators from leading classroom instruction on sexual orientation and gender identity for students in kindergarten through third grade. That is a completely rational and reasonable and appropriate standard. Next up, National Review. Uh, this is it's not Charles Cooks. It's Philip Klein. The most significant line dividing the modern conservative movement is more tactical than ideological. On one side, there are those on the right who see conservatism as a set of clear and timeless principles that should be consistently adhered to, regardless of whether they lead to preferred short-term outcomes in every circumstance. Right? It's a long-term deal. you got timeless principles that you consistently adhere to. I will acknowledge this is where I tend to fall. I am more along those lines. That the timeless principles should be consistently adhered to, even if it means you lose some short-term battles, but you win the long-term war. But here's the problem. The timeless principle folks are not winning the long-term war either. (laughs) So this then gives rise to what Klein describes as the Fight Club Republicans, which I think is actually a really great name for them. And I am also sympathetic to this. Part of me, well, here, I will tell you, this is, uh, here, yeah, R.B. Pundit. Used to be a, uh, a blogger, writer, guy, uh, but he's out of the game. Now he's just on Twitter at, at RB Pundit. Anyway, I think his name was Ryan. Anyway, he says, the D.C. media bubble thought they could craft a narrative that Florida was passing a law that made saying gay in school illegal. And Disney is now paying a hefty price for listening to these morons. That's the Fight Club Republican view. Jesse Kelly, the talk show host out of uh, Texas, He's a fight clubber. Um, 
uh, Kurt Schlichter. We've had him on the program, retired colonel, a lawyer out of California, writes at townhall.com. Uh, he's a fight club Republican. They view the these battles now as existential, and they are not interested in losing any more ground to the far left and the communists, the neo-Marxists. That's the fight that they are waging. And I like the term fight club Republicans. Because what did we hear about Trump, right? He fights. The, the, the timeless principles that should consistently be adhered to, those, those are from the before times. That's, those are from the before times. People who want to preserve and protect and you know, pay fealty to these ideas, you're dating yourself. Because that was before we ended up where we are right now, where everything is now weaponized and, you know, mass movements on social media can destroy people and companies. You've lost the schools, you've lost the culture, Hollywood, all of it. So if you're not going to fight now, the timeless principles are dead. And so that means you have to sometimes adopt tactics that you would not like to adopt, namely tactics of the left. Because I don't have any sympathy for any company or lefty who's now upset at the weaponization of boycotts, legislation targeting companies or sectors and all this stuff. You guys have been engaged in this stuff for a while. Hello, HB2, right? Now all of a sudden, now all of a sudden you have a problem with the weaponization of economic sectors. Here is another one. It's a Pete tweet. It's been a treat to watch the pay their fair share crowd defend one of those evil corporations that hasn't paid state or local taxes in 50, uh, 50 years. <laughs> right? All of a sudden, the left has now finally found a multinational, multi-billion dollar corporation that they can support. What a day. News Talk 1110-993-WBT. So there is a fight in the modern conservative movement. As uh, Philip Klein at National Review says, it's more tactical than ideological. One side, they see conservatism as a set of clear and timeless principles that should be consistently adhered to, regardless of whether they lead to preferred short-term outcomes in every single circumstance. Those on the other side of that line may be sympathetic to many of the same principles, but they believe that any principle that gets in the way of achieving their preferred outcomes should be discarded without remorse. This isn't to say that important ideological disagreements on economic, social, and national security policy do not still divide conservatives into various factions. And no doubt the overarching tactical disagreements end up leading to substantive policy differences. For example, the debate over how to regulate big tech. That is a very big, it's a very big debate on the right. I know people on the left don't understand this because they, I think they're all kind of on board with the hive mind idea that we got to censor everybody online. But on the right, Section 230, yeah, both sides make very compelling arguments on how to, you know, regulate these tech companies. Anyway, That said, Klein says, that said, if we look at the battles on the right that in recent years have ended friendships, 
severed institutional relationships and pitted longtime conservative allies passionately against each other. They all at their core come down to the same disagreements over the proper approach to politics. He talks about, you know, uh, Donald Trump and conservatives and never Trumpers and all of that. And that's why he comes up with this term, uh, this term fight club conservatives. The people willing to engage in the fight. Ron DeSantis has clearly now carved out a spot for himself with this fight with Disney. He's a fight club conservative. Christopher Rufo, who's done all of this amazing work on uh, critical race theory and highlighting uh, all of the examples in schools and businesses and the like. He, he's a fight club conservative. He says Disney has lost more than $20 billion. It's actually now up to $35 billion in shareholder value since the release of the internal videos exposing the company's plan to embed gender ideology into its children's programming. It's a strong opening shot against woke capital, and there is more to come. A lot of the coverage I am seeing around Disney and the and the law here is this it's all washed through this filter of, uh, well, you know, there are the Republicans attacking Disney as if there hasn't been this constant march of progressive aggression in the culture. That video that Rufo's talking about, and I believe it was his organization that that put it out there. These were these were videos that came out of like an all hands on deck Zoom call thing. And what it showed, I've seen portions of it, and what it showed was multiple people at various and high levels inside the Disney Corporation talking about how they were smuggling CRT and genderqueer theories into children's programming. They were pushing that stuff in. They were they were wanting to have, you know, more gay couples and, and trans characters and all of this. And if Disney wants to do this, they're free to do that. Private company, after all. They're free to do that. But make no mistake, you are picking a side in the culture fight. You don't then get to say, oh, but I want to, you know, attract all customers of all political stripes and all, you know, philosophies on whether or not a three-year-old or a five-year-old should be taught about transgenderism. Right? You've taken a position. And that's precisely what the left has wanted everyone to do. You don't get, I'm a live and let live kind of guy. When it comes to economics, I'm laissez-faire. When it comes to personal relationships with people, I too am laissez-faire. I don't, I don't care. It doesn't, doesn't bother me. It doesn't matter to me. I don't feel the need to antagonize people when it comes to their preferences on anything from who they love to who they uh, go to movies with or... Uh, who they don't like or what they eat or drink. I don't mind. It doesn't it doesn't affect me. But if you're going to tell me I have to care, then you better expect that I'm not going to care the same way you do about every issue, right? And that's what the left has been forcing upon us for a very long time, this idea that we will all be made to care. And when I say that and when they say that, what it what it means is you will be forced to not only adopt our way of thinking, but you will also be encouraged and it is expected that you would evangelize these positions. You will be made to care, to care so much 
that you're going to advance these issues. That's what they demand. You can't just say, yeah, you know what? I, I don't really care. You're going to go do this thing or whatever. Like when Disney, uh, Disney World does the, you know, they have the big gay uh, events that they do at Disney World. I don't care. It doesn't, it doesn't, ma- doesn't bother me. It doesn't matter to me. That's their park. If they want to do that, they're free to do that. Now, if they're going to make me care, if they're going to say, I have to come out and be like, everybody, this is fantastic. You're going to force me. No, see, that's the contrarianism in me. That's the anti-authoritarian streak I've got, and I'm not going to play. And, and you telling me that I have to do something like that? Yeah, now I'm going to fight you. Now I'm going to fight you. And that's where we are. And it's, it's ripping through our entire society. News Talk 1110-993-WBT. Another one of the Fight Club conservatives, Fight Club Republicans. I think he's probably in that category. Well, listen to what he says. See if you agree. Ben Shapiro. He says if corporations, sorry, he says, if corporations shoot to visit the free market, no, I'm kidding. He does talk very fast, though. (laughs) If corporations choose to exit the free market by seeking media and legal dispensation from anti-market leftists pushing radical social values, Don't count on those of us who love free markets to defend you. If corporations choose to exit the free market by seeking media and legal dispensation from the anti-free market people on the left who are also pushing these radical social values, right, you should not rely on us who love actual free markets to defend you. Right. This is part of the thing. We learned this in North Carolina with HB2. Right. We had companies that were made to care. You will be made to care. Take a position. And if you take the wrong position on this, the left will burn you down. Right. They'll boycott you, which, by the way, the boycotts don't really work. But then what they what they do do is generate attention, generate media coverage. That's what these things do. That's what these boycotts do. And the left knows that. And they, they have a willing accomplice with their allies in the media. And so that we saw it, again, firsthand for several years with the HB2 fight over transgenderism and bathrooms and access and public accommodation law. And these are difficult conversations. I attempted to have the nuanced, difficult complex conversations about the policy and how best to get at some of these issues. They're not interested in it. They really are not. And Donald Trump, I remember he he said, why, why, I don't understand this bathroom thing. Why don't they just go back to the way it was? Well, because we couldn't because to the city of Charlotte and their ordinance, they were defining businesses on a daily basis that were in violation. It was a terribly written ordinance And HB2 was the promised reaction to that ordinance. And then what? Boycotts. Generate attention. Get the media coverage. Media carries the water, amplifies the message, calcifies the narrative. It's the same playbook. And the Fight Club conservatives are done. They're done. Rolling over. Letting you guys do this with the, don't wear a dub it, don't say gay. And now the media just covers it as that. 
So, all right. If we just keep accepting the way these tactics are being employed, then this doesn't stop. Bullies don't stop until you punch them. Right? Until you defeat them, until you embarrass them, until you make it painful. That's the Fight Club conservative approach. That's what they're saying. Because they don't see any other way. Because all they see is the other conservatives are like, oh, our principles, or as they call it, my principles. That, the principle crowd, the only thing they excel at, according to the Fight Clubbers, is losing. When you realize that the principles first crowd has as its first principle losing, then yes, it all starts to make some bit of sense. <laughs> this is their right, this is their argument, the fight clubber's argument. So Ben Shapiro says, you know, F A F O. You know what that means? Bleep around and find out. That's what he's saying. Corporations have an interest in lobbying on issues that directly impact their business. If they choose to engage in politics outside of their purview, they will be treated with all the aggression inherent to the political sphere, and they deserve it. If you want to go apolitical, look, Disney, hang on a second, I got the data here. Disney employs 38 lobbyists in Florida's capital. Every election cycle, the company gives campaign contributions to candidates from both sides of the political aisle. They grease every wheel in the legislature. Its theme park mega resort near Orlando attracts more than 50 million visitors a year, powering a central Florida tourism economy that annually generates more than $5 billion in local and state tax revenue. Now, DeSantis has said on many occasions that he is opposed to special taxing districts because he opposes entities receiving special treatment. Now, that's a principle. That's a principle. But he's using the fight with Disney, right, and retaliation against Disney for them weighing in on the parental rights bill, he's using that as a, as the pretext to assert this principle. Because if it was really a principle, why aren't you unwinding every single other special tax district? Now, maybe he knows that there's no political will to do that in the legislature, so he he goes for the ones that he knows he can get, and he, he gets like six of them, two of them being Disney's, right? All right, back to Shapiro's tweet. He says, corporations do have an interest in lobbying on issues that directly impact their business. All right, so you would expect Disney to be out there lobbying on tourism-related issues. But if they choose to get into politics, then you're in the arena. It's one of my criticisms of a lot of people that are in political media. They pretend that they're not participants. You are You are participants in the arena. The fact that you even did the story, whatever the story is, you chose to do it. That means you are a participant in the battle, in the arena. Because if you hadn't done the story, nobody would have known about it. And it wouldn't have been a big story or how you chose to frame the story. Like, did you say a parental rights bill or did you call it the don't say gay bill? You are an active participant in the fight. So now if you want to go back to being apolitical, we'll be happy to go back to business as usual. But if you turn into a propaganda or lobbying wing for the most radical activists, you're going to be treated in kind. So Ben Shapiro's comments there prompted a response from a fellow named Matthew Peterson, uh, who was the founder of the American Mind, the AM Mind. uh, I believe that's their website.com. Anyway, Uh, He says, respect to Shapiro for saying this boldly. 
People can have different views about the framing of it all, but the few on the old right that are wringing their hands just don't get it. By their own logic, their cowardice doesn't make sense. Disney wants to play uh, wants to play games. Fine, they want to they want to play in this arena. Fine, they pay the consequences. The great sort and the cultural commercial war is upon us. You don't have to like it, but it's here and it's real. Radically adjust accordingly. And I'm kind of getting the sense that Peterson and Shapiro and Rufo and Kelly, I'm, I'm starting to get the sense that they may actually be more right than not. I think that is where we are. News Talk 1110-993-WBT. The Fight Club Conservatives, I mentioned Jesse Kelly. So ABC News reporting that uh, Representative Marjorie Taylor Greene testified in a legal challenge to bar her from the Georgia ballot. This is a similar effort underway in North Carolina uh, against Madison Cawthorn. She is set to become the first lawmaker to publicly testify under oath about the January 6th Capitol assault. And Jesse Kelly says to this news, quote, the proper response to this is not whining about it. Get your five strongest GOP state legislatures together right now for a meeting. You come up with a list of five congressional Democrats who will be removed from the ballot if this goes through. And then you publicize the list. That's the fight club conservative mentality. They're saying, oh, we're going to knock out Marjorie Taylor Greene. We're going to call her a uh, an insurrectionist like uh, uh, like Madison Cawthorn. As such, you don't get to run for office. Okay, we're going to start kicking your people out of Congress next. We're going to start ballot challenging all of your people as well. Uh, we're going to start do- using these levers of the state to exact revenge. Because that's what you're doing. You're using the levers of the state in order to kick people out of office. But but ours is worthwhile. Ours is a, is a, a you know righteous mission. That's the that's their argument, and the Fight Club conservatives, Fight Club conservatives, they're not buying it. You don't get to denigrate the country, talk about how it needs to be completely overhauled, torn down, challenge the basic uh, Enlightenment ideals and that sort of thing. You don't get to. Actively work and speak against everything that the country is built upon and then pretend that you're the one that's protecting it, that you're the one that's trying to make sure that rule of law is abided. No, it's this is Calvin Ball now. I have been saying this for years. You folks on the left are not going to like it when the right starts playing by your rules. And here we are. And your rules are Calvin Ball rules. Your rules are whatever we need to do right now to win this topic, we're going to do this thing right now. And it doesn't matter if it's inconsistent with what you did yesterday or what you said should or shouldn't be done. You want a good example of this? Hang on. Go to this. Where's my stack of stuff? There was, I thought, a very good piece by a, a, a lefty here in town. He writes under the name of, uh, well, his own name, Michael Ressler, Rosler. Roesler, wrestler. Anyway, um, charlottecitizen.com. 
So he's an anti-Trumper, leftist, right? Hates Trump. And so he talks about darkness enveloping much of American politics since Trump descended the escalator. But he says Democrats now have their own never-Trump moment. Unlike never-Trump Republicans, progressives and Democrats could oppose the former president without sacrificing anything. Trump set up camp in the GOP, and we opposed him, but we would have opposed anybody. Ted Cruz, John Kasich, any other Republican we would have opposed, right? So we did not risk breaking the bonds of partisan kinship with our fellow Democrats and leftists and the like, as we shook our heads in surprise and disgust while looking upon Trump's most vocal supporters and silent enablers. How, we would ask ourselves and our like-thinking compatriots, how could people support this man? Didn't they see his indecency, his narcissism, his opportunism and idiocy and ethical unfitness? No matter if you agreed with his proposals to cut off immigration or stand up to China or protect gun rights, we argued, policy was secondary. The candidacy and administration of Donald Trump were freighted with an imperative to preserve the fundamentals of Republican self-government, and nothing else mattered. And underneath the questions we asked about Trump voters lurked our, our real inquiry, which was, how could you be so stupid? Right, that's that's what was at the the core of all of their questions. The premise of the question, we looked down on the MAGA crowd as our inferiors, thought not only that their political judgments were wrong, but that their very ability to form political judgments was somehow impaired. They simply did not know how to properly do the work of self-government. Our criticisms uh, were that we you know, we who opposed the man's ascendancy to power that we did know how to think about politics, we knew what mattered. We believed ourselves better. And the Never Trumpers come along and that confirms for them, for the lefties, right, that their judgment is correct. Because, look, here are some Republicans. They agree with us. It proved that we're not just rationalizing a partisan fight. No, no. The Never Trump Republicans, just like us, were among the elect who got it. And with them, we could develop a camaraderie born of sometimes our smug belief that we would never engage in the kind of flawed judgment and thinking and behavior that ushered such an unfit man into office. No, no, we proclaimed with self-satisfaction that we, we would, if we had a similar charlatan within the ranks of our own party, that we would totally stand up against that charlatan. We're better than you. We have politics of integrity, and you don't. Well, Democrats in Charlotte, you got yourself a test now. Mm Mm-hmm. If you declared yourself as one who would never be snookered by a criminal huckster, well, you have your moment of truth now. The test comes in the form of Patrick Cannon, the former Charlotte mayor. He of the bribery taken and prison sentence serving former mayor. He got the endorsement of the Black Political Caucus, which did not explain its decision. Stephanie Sneed, the chairwoman of the organization, shed very little light on the group's thinking in a subsequent statement. Betraying an obliviousness to the fundamentally ethical nature of political questions, and they constitute the local democratic equivalent of the flawed moral thinking that dominates MAGA nation, he says. 
This is the test of political judgment charlatans now face. We can pretend we're powerless to defy endorsements of the ethically corrupt, or we can demonstrate courage. Will they fail or pass their test? <laughs>